Greetings, friends. It's a new day. I trust it will be a good day and a blessed day. My name is David McAdam, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide, where we read through daily portions of the Old and New Testaments and make our way through all the 66 books of the Bible in a year's time. I'm so grateful that we can share these moments together, reading the Word, hearing the Word, and I trust that it will motivate you to study the Word, meditate upon it, and memorize important scriptures. We start a new book in the Old Testament today, the book of 1 Samuel. We're transitioning from the period of the judges to the period of the kings. The book of Ruth ends with the name of David, and in the book of 1 Samuel, we will meet David when he is a young shepherd boy. He will eventually become the shepherd king, and in this regard, foreshadows the greater and truer shepherd king, the Lord Jesus. But before David is anointed king, the people will choose their own king, King Saul, and his reign is a dismal failure. Before we meet David or Saul, we must first meet Samuel, the last of the judges, and the prophet who will anoint these kings. So let's get started with the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, 
Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Chapter 2. Hannah's Prayer And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come, while the meat was boiling, with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself, this is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you but only raw. 
And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy, Samuel, grew in the presence of the Lord. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel. The two books of Samuel tell us of the transition of Israel from a theocracy to a monarchy. Together with the two books of Kings, the four books form what is titled in the Greek Septuagint and Latin Vulgate translations, the Book of Kingdoms. In these books, we see a contrast between the failing rulers of men and the unfailing overrule of God. In the Book of Ruth, we witness the fall of the house of Elimelech, literally, my God is king, during the period of the judges in Israel. Yet the book prophetically hints of the gospel, pointing to the actions of a kinsman redeemer, who not only restores the lost inheritance of the Israelites, but brings in the Gentile as well. The Israelites take further steps away from theocracy, God is my king, in the early chapters of 1 Samuel. Rather than seeking the mind of their covenant-keeping sovereign, they demand an earthly king like the other nations. This king would reign in the place of God. Sin will always attempt to substitute the false for the true. This is the history of idolatry. G. Campbell Morgan writes, quote, Every idol is a witness to man's need of God. The lack of God creates a necessity for putting something in his place. End quote. In the first book of Samuel, the Israelites are ready to put something or someone else in God's place so that they can be like the other nations. They ask for a king. God will use the wayward desires of his people for his purposes. In the books of the kingdoms, the reader will see the history of Israel unfold from the vantage point of God's watchtower through the witness of the prophets appointed as watchmen. Israel will choose a ruler who outwardly appears to fit their estimate of a desirable king. They choose Saul, but God's choice will not focus on outward appearances, but on the inward inclinations of the heart, David. We are given in David a shadow, a faint depiction of what God has in mind of a shepherd king for his people, Jesus, the Messiah. In 1 Samuel, King David is a type of Christ, anointed as king, yet despised and forsaken by his own. In 2 Samuel, the anointed king of God's choice will be received by his people. The book of 1 Samuel begins with the story of a man who is not after God's heart, Elkanah. His heart was divided, as illustrated by his relationship with his two wives. In contrast to Elkanah's failures, we are introduced to the spiritual qualities of his wife Hannah, whose name means grace. Hannah was broken-hearted about her condition of barrenness. Although she was favored by her husband Elkanah, she privately bore a great sorrow in not being able to bear his children. Barrenness was especially difficult to cope with in Hannah's day. Children were vitally important to the economic and caring structure of society. This is true today also. 
Each generation was dependent upon the next to guarantee the survival of the family business, preserve the family name, pass on the family legacy, and maintain the family inheritance. Children were to grow up to be the caregivers and providers for their aging parents. Not only did Hannah have to battle the social shame of barrenness, but she was also ridiculed by her persistent adversary and rival, her husband's second wife, Peninnah. Whenever she went up to the house of the Lord, Peninnah, who was the mother to all of Hannah's husband's children, provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Hannah had a God-given longing for fruitfulness. There is a need within each of us to be fruitful. We want to see our lives produce something meaningful, purposeful, beneficial, and lasting. We want to see something significant come to birth in our service and in our relationships. Jesus spoke of how He was the indispensable key to spiritual fruitfulness. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. Romans chapter 15 verses 4 and 5. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John chapter 15 verse 8. The second man of failure, introduced after Elkanah, is Eli the priest. Like Elkanah, Eli is the opposite of a man after God's heart. He is unable to discern the spiritual activity in front of him. He sees lips moving but hears no prayer. He perceives Hannah's praying as a drunken stammering. He makes no effort to minister to her, but only gives her his hope that the Lord will answer her request. The Lord heard Hannah's prayer and gave her a son, Samuel, meaning heard by God, or asked of God. She dedicates him to the Lord, according to the vow she made before the Lord in prayer. When the child was fully weaned, Hannah brings him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. She says to Eli, For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, and that's the New American Standard Bible version. The boy Samuel worships, and so does his mother. Hannah's prayer reminds us of Mary's Magnificat in the New Testament. It is most likely that Mary, the mother of Jesus, recalled Hannah's prayer when she praised the Lord in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Hannah prays, My soul exults in the Lord. Mary praises, My soul magnifies the Lord. They both praise the Lord for His gift of salvation. In Luke chapter 1, verse 47 and 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, they praise Him for His unique attributes, his holiness in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 2 and Luke chapter 1 verse 49 and for the great things he has done in Luke 1 chapter 49 through 52 they both acknowledge that the lord meets the deepest hunger and greatest needs Luke chapter 1 verse 53 and 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 5 they both praise the lord for his sovereign and merciful interventions in Luke chapter 1 verse 52 and verses 54 through 55 and 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 4-10. through 10. Hannah exalts, The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low, He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the nobles and inherit the seat of honor. Chapter 2, verses 7-8. through 8. 
Mary exclaims, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. Luke chapter 1, verse 52. Eli's spiritual dullness is evident in the way he neglects to discipline his children and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The New Living Translation tells us about Eli's sons. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or their duties as priests. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. They treated the offerings that were to be dedicated to the Lord with contempt, selfishly demanding the meat for themselves. While the sons of Eli were serving only themselves, Samuel was serving the Lord. Even at his young age, Samuel wore a linen garment like that of a priest. Each year his mother brought him a larger coat as he grew up in the presence of the Lord. This is an instructive example of a caring mother. Hannah has a greater respect for the priestly office than the priests. She makes appropriate provisions that will accommodate the maturing process of her children. And now let's go to our reading in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 23. The Healing at the Pool on the Sabbath. John chapter 5. After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. 
And this concludes our reading from today's portion from the Gospel of John. In John chapter 5, verses 1 through 23, Jesus heals the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. He had been sick for 38 years. It is interesting that as we come to this sign event, John is choosing an incident in which a man is healed who has been lame the same length of time that the children of Israel were under the law in the wilderness, 38 years. The children of Israel were 40 years in the desert, but the law was not given until the second year. John knew that we are all lame under the law. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 reads, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The sign event illustrates the truth found in Romans 8.2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Through the Spirit of the indwelling life of Christ, we can pick up the mat of covenant obligations and carry them, knowing that they are fulfilled through the life of Christ. Our old nature is lame in relationship to the law of God. It has no ability to please God or fulfill His demands of righteousness. It is not subject to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, Jesus claims once again to be the Son of God. We forget that prior to Jesus, no one dared call God their Father. To do such, to the minds of the Jewish leaders at the time, amounted to blasphemy. Jesus was claiming equality with God. In John chapter 5, verse 17, but he answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus claims resurrection power and divine authority. He claims that he has been given the authority to judge every human being. He also claims that he is deserving of equal honor and worship as his Father. For not even the Father judges anyone, for he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And now we're going to return to the book of Psalms, where we have been reading Psalm 105. And this is the third and final portion of Psalm 105. We'll be reading verses 37 to 45, and reading today will be our brother Peter Healy. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. And there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering, and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail, and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations. And they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord indeed. Notice that as the psalmist records the history of Israel, it is not Israel who is acting or being given the glory. The psalmist boasts in the Lord. He brought his people out of Egypt. He loaded them with silver and gold and kept them from falling. He protected them and guided them with the cloud by day and the fire by night. 
The cloud mercifully kept them from being scorched by the sun in the wilderness. He fed them and quenched their thirst. He kept his word and gave his people all he had promised. As we look back on the history of salvation and the history of our salvation, indeed we praise the Lord for the great things he has done. For salvation is of the Lord. Jonah chapter 2 verse 9. And now we go to today's set of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. In a multitude of people is the glory of a king, but without people a prince is ruined. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. The first of these two Proverbs clues us in to people's preoccupations with popularity polls, particularly political leaders, They glory in the numbers of their supporters, their subjects, their fans. People's egos are bolstered by counting their online friends and followers. Is this where we find our identity and self-worth? Yet at the same time, the king or any leader must take into account that his or her influence is only effective if there are people within their sphere to receive it. The second proverb reminds us that the exercise of patience shows understanding. It is also how we gain understanding. To be quick-tempered, or literally hasty of spirit, only brings out one's foolishness, so it is best to be patient with all. Let's pray together. O Lord, may we not dishonor our priesthood through self-service. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are swift to obey. We look forward to spiritual growth. We pray that we will outgrow the garments of our spiritual infancy and mature in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. May we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, mindful that without you we are lame on both feet. Grant us the spiritual wisdom, poise, and discretion that will enable us to express your truth today in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that our meditation today will set your heart praising the Lord and that the rest of the day finds you singing of His mercies. We thank you for being a part of this Bible reading community and we look forward to continuing tomorrow. If you'd like to be in touch with us with any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can visit our website, newlife.org, and you can subscribe to a daily email where you get a written copy of our commentary with illustrations. God bless you, and we look forward to being together tomorrow.